Yeah, he's at the tailor, bouncing around. <laughs> and uh, one, of, one of the musketeers comes in and inform him that I have a servant for you, a fellow who reflects before he acts. Oh. And uh, Fairbanks is shocked. No, what are you saying? <laughs> I, found <him> on a <laughs> I found him on a bridge. Uh, <laughs> spitting in the water to see which way the river was flowing. And I mean, and, and Fairbanks almost can't handle this information. At first he's so surprised, and then he burst out belly laughing. Hi, and welcome to Pod Hard, everybody. My name is Jonas Högberg. And I'm the Schultqvist. We are back in action. We have left 1920 behind. And now we're all about 1921. Woohoo! Where, apparently, there was a movie made called Action! Yeah, the stars align. <laughs> How fitting. Uh, and apparently it was the great uh, Western director John Ford who made it. Yeah, a Hoot, a Hoot Gibson uh, vehicle. Gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it has ceased to exist, apparently. Uh, unfortunately for us, for Pod Hard is all about action movies. And we're tracing the history and evolution of action movies with these uh, podcasts that you're listening at. Yeah. Uh, How's that so, tracing yeah, we're, going? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's going pretty good, I guess. I mean, I mean, we we've certainly missed uh, a couple of hundred movies for sure because there's a lot of movies being made uh, in the twenties. And uh, we're we're jumping right into uh, the should we call him the the foremost interpreter of the cityscape oh you're talking about harold lloyd are you yeah uh he's he's really onto something about uh, living in the big city and I all think. the perils that come with it yeah and in 1921 i would say uh, among the 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 big silent era comedy actors I would say he's the most action-oriented. Uh, yeah, I, I would, uh, I would totally agree. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen all of Lloyd's movies from 1921, um, but I have recently <laughs> just finished watching uh, all of Buster Keaton's movies from 1921. So with that, uh, yeah. Harold Lloyd is uh, a bit more action-oriented. So uh, the movie we're talking about will be Never Weaken, which is uh, Harold Lloyd's last uh, short movie. After this movie, he went into making feature movies. And I have to say, I, I really like... Um, I think it's Hal Roach, who is the director uh, of basically every uh, Harold Lloyd movie. And I think he has uh, a nice way of... Uh, framing action and both uh, story shots he uses close-ups much uh, better than the keaton movie does in the in the beginning we uh, see a, 
a real nice close-up of a hand dangling with a ring. And apparently it's uh, Harold Lloyd fishing a bride from a window uh, on a skyscraper. I, I do think uh, maybe half of uh, Harold Lloyd's movies are pretty pedestrian before he gets to the big set pieces. Uh, which worries me some uh, for the feature-length format. Uh, I, I haven't seen that much Harold Lloyd, actually. Uh, but but I do like that um, uh, the plot in this uh, movie is basically about uh, him uh, getting this ring to the to the girl on the other side. Uh, they're on opposite sides of... Um, they both have uh, work for two businesses. Um, and his uh, bride-to-be is being let off since uh, he's a, she's working for a doctor who doesn't get any patients. So when Lloyd hears about this, he immediately runs out to try to <laughs> tries to find patients for the doctor. And uh, as he is running down the skyscraper, he runs past uh, <laughs> um, a door being opened where a guy is leaping around doing acrobatics. Uh, uh, doing pratfalls essentially, and he ah he gets an idea, grabs the guy, runs out of the building with the guy, uh, and uh, tells him to do a fall on the street. So he looks all knocked down and bruised. Uh, whereas uh, Lloyd jumps in and straightens him out and uh, passes around um, uh, what do you call them uh, cards to the doctor. Uh, so everybody, oh yeah, man, this guy is all, all the hoot. Uh, we should go to uh, this uh, reception. Um, I, I was a bit worried for a while there that it was going to turn into one of the chase movies with the police uh, chasing around. Uh, you, do, you don't like the chase movies anymore. What happened, man? Uh, I think they've been a bit over... Um, what do you say? Uh, overexposed. I think they've been uh, kind of overexposed by now. It's starting to feel like the, the Marvel movies uh, or something. <laughs> oh, I mean, wow. There are a, we've seen a lot of uh, cop chase movies uh, mm, as far yeah. back as like 1907 or something. Anyway, there's a misunderstanding with the with this girl. He thinks she's marrying someone else. Yeah, I, I thought that misunderstanding bit was really clever. I, I, he's... Uh... Uh, he's brought a lot of people back to the reception and he's uh, feeling all, all right about himself. And he opens the door to where the girl is and she is standing there with a big guy. And the big guy is saying, oh, now I'm back and now I can finally marry us. Uh, well, marry you, he says. Uh, whereas uh, Lloyd thinks, oh my god, she has a, another boyfriend and she's going to marry him. Oh man, I'm all taken aback by this and he, he walks off uh, and where as this person continues uh, oh it's so nice to have you back my dear brother oh yeah now I, I've become a preacher so now I can marry you with your um, guy uh, so that was the thing and, and then we venture into uh, a suicide comedy and Buster Keaton made one of those in 1921 as well a hard luck so this was in fashion, the suicide comedy. Have fun with suicide, kids. Uh, so he devises different approaches to suicide, but yeah. he, uh, he feels uh, all of the options are a bit uh, scary. Uh, 
I mean, he tries to drink poison, uh, but he quite can't uh, stomach the smell of it, so he sugars it with a lot of sugar. And then he uh, f- pushes it away so it, uh, the poison uh, spills out. And then he picks up a big um, uh, notepad holder, which has a big pointy stick on it. It tries to pierce his heart, but he thinks, oh my god, that will be too messy. He sticks his finger and he sees blood and he's like, oh my god, that's scary. And then he tries to jump out the window, but that's like uh, the height is uh, troubling him. Oh my god, I get, uh, I'm, I'm scared of heights, I can't do this. And so then he finds a gun and he constructs like a Rube Goldberg device uh, with a string to the, um, uh, the, the firing mechanism. Uh, that he, this, so the string is attached to the door and then he calls to the janitor and asks him to come to, um, uh, well, comes to his office. And uh, when he waits for the janitor to come, uh, a light bulb crashes on the floor and smashes and the sound makes uh, Lloyd think he's been shot. So he's, oh my god, I got it there. And meanwhile, a beam, a construction beam, is being <laughs> um, is being off its hilt or something, and into his office and picks up his chair with Lloyd on the beam and transports him out into the uh, construction of a skyscraper. Cue action madness up high above ground. Yeah, the big set piece. But it's funny, these this uh, office space comedies uh, rem- remind me of... Uh, Johnny Toe has made a couple of those as well. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> so, I thought a bit so, about Jerry Lewis as well. Um, yeah, so relations in office spaces. Mm, yeah. So he's climbing around on this construction site, high up. And we get this uh, these, uh, wonderful height of field <laughs> uh, shots. The, the blurry camera. It's uh, really well made. Uh, so climbing around, uh, hanging on for dear life. Yeah, it's a big, big set piece. This, this really feels like an uh, action movie. I mean, uh, Tom Cruise could probably do a remake of this one. Yeah, so it's a lot of uh, missteps and he's trying to... He finds a ladder that is going down and tries to go down the ladder. Meanwhile, two guys above is trying to uh, pull up the ladder. So he's getting nowhere as he's going down the ladder. He's uh, on uh, the the same height uh, all the time. So there's a lot of these uh, missteps and mishappenings happening when he's trying to get away from this uh, construction... uh, um, construction site. Yeah, so he's climbing high rises here, and he's racing fast cars and riding on top of trains in Now or Never, uh, and has a few gags on walking out in heavy traffic roads in I Do. Mm. So he, mm. he's really uh, doing stuff with this, uh, this these busy streets and the fast pace. Uh, and constructing mm. these uh, these uh, action cinema set pieces. So he's being very contemporary and, uh, um, you know, uh, adapting and showing uh, the perils of the uh, changing uh, industrial world. There was some uh, high-rise action stuff already in 1920, uh, but we get more of it here, and I, I like this the framing where they do this depth of no uh, uh, yeah height of field <laughs> I guess, 
where you really feel uh, the, the that is high up. So this is uh, this is uh, kind of an uh, early test shoot for safety last, I guess, which we will uh, get to in 1923. Just give us a couple of years. Meanwhile. Buster Keaton is making movies as well. Sure does. Um, and he's... Uh, sure does. He sure does. And uh, what a Buster he's making. Um, I don't think any of his movies from 1921 is as good as uh, One Week from 1920, which I really, really, really liked. Um, Hard Luck, which we mentioned before, where he tries to kill himself. Uh, it's a bit uh, far between the jokes in this one. Um, he tries to get over... He, he tries to get killed since he's uh, down on his luck, essentially. He's not getting any money and he's just been uh, jilted by his girl. Um, so he's suicidal over this. <laughs> There's this prolonged uh, fox chase scene uh, where he just uh, experiments, I guess, with gags... Uh, with animals, uh, there's a lot of horse stuff mm. uh, and things that uh, yeah, it's not very exciting. But I mean, uh, no, no. these are more on the comedy side. Most of the bits uh, I think that he do in 1921. I guess the most action-oriented is the last couple of minutes of the high sign, which has this elaborate yeah. set where they run around and uh, uh, yeah, f- fight a bit and. Slap yeah, other. yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 a really nice set. It, it's sort of like these uh, Wes Anderson um, uh, framings, you know, where you see a lot of rooms, uh, sort of like a dollhouse um, from different perspectives, and you see all of the rooms at the same time, and you see Buster Keaton being chased around f- through all the rooms by bad guys, uh, all the while. There's some weird contraptions in this house. I mean, he's going out through trap doors um, that are everywhere, not only on the floor, but uh, on the walls and in the ceiling. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's a weird, wacky house. <laughs> and it's fun that they try to set it, this up in the plot because he's hired as both the assassinator and bodyguard to, to a guy and uh, this guy installs these uh, uh, secret escape routes in his house if <laughs> if the m- killers are coming so that's that's <laughs> yeah. trying to explain why there are yeah hidden doors everywhere <laughs> yeah so so that's a great uh, finale to uh, to high sign um I think uh, Haunted House has some good uh, shenanigans as well. I mean, there's sort of a similar finish to High Sign, where Buster is running around in a in a supposed haunted house. Uh, there's like a, a, a gang of crooks that are using this house as um, uh, they they're making policemen think the house is haunted, so they won't go in there and investigating. Um, so they're running around with uh, sheets over them, pretending to be ghosts. And uh, there is uh, a tribute to Georges Méliès in this um, house as well. Two skeleton guys be <laughs> putting um, a guy together with body parts 
Um, and when the body parts is all on their place, uh, the guy uh, comes to life again. That has some merit to it as well. Um, and I think there's a lot of great uh, sight gags in the goat, um, which, well, if you see compilations of Buster Keaton's uh, greatest stunts and moves, uh, you'll see a lot of them from the goat. Like when he's jumping up, um, he sees a car that is about to uh, go away, and he jumps up into the spare uh, wheel on the back of the car. Um, to escape a cop or something. And then the car uh, goes away and the the spare wheel is standing uh, left on the street because it was part of a shop at the right next to it. Uh, So that's a really great sight gag, I think. I think there's a pretty funny setup in the goat where he he helps a lady with a dog uh, from a, a guy that is harassing her. Uh, pretty funny fight mm. where he uh, flips him over and he's uh, unconscious. And later when there's a mix-up with uh, photographers that make them think that uh, Buster Keaton is a killer, uh, he believes it himself. He has a flashback to when he knocked out this guy and think that he died. <laughs> so <laughs> so he believes uh, the, the, reason is, uh, the reason is this. But it, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's I, I am I am a murderer. It's legit <laughs> that they're they're trying to catch me. So that's really funny. And, and that and that scene where when he um, when he thinks he has killed the guy, that is so funny. Uh, he he runs into like a situation. He's standing around with a woman. This guy, um, and so he knocks Buster on his head. Buster is all woozy, and charges him like a bull by being woozy he's trying to fall down but he's charging him uh, he's being flipped over by buster's uh, bull charging and uh, flat down on the ground i mean that's just great when they hit it when they hit each other in in uh, these movies it actually looks really hard even without sound yeah, I mean they they hit uh, they hit each other with with sort of like uh, open palm and they like slap the side of the head, uh, so it's not on the face but it's sort of on the head, but it looks really really bad, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, that's Buster's best from 1921, uh, some of his best at least. Uh, I was a bit impressed by his early double impact. Uh the effects uh, in his early double impact movie <laughs> no i mean playhouse where he plays all the characters in a theater yeah 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 unfortunately also in blackface uh, yeah those were the times man but he is he is playing kids old people women men uh, and later on a monkey so uh, this was actually, he was poking fun at another director called Thomas H. Inns for being very pompous and taking credit for everything. So that was his idea with this, to satirize this guy um, who would say, yeah, directed by Thomas H. Inns, produced by Thomas H. Inns, written by, conceived by, uh, thought up by Thomas H. Inns. And he was sort of peeved that he didn't give credit to other people. And so that's why 
uh, early on we see the credits for this. Uh, he's having a dream. That's why he's playing all the roles. So that's why we see the credits early on where it says Buster Keaton is doing everything. Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton. So that's fun. He's having a beef with Thomas Hitchens. Yeah, and, and showing uh, his width. Uh, what do you say? He's showing his... Uh, yeah, he can play all these different characters pretty well. Uh. Yeah, Eddie Murphy can go uh, <laughs> drench himself. And, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I also like a, a pair of a pair of armed veterans in the audience that are disagreeing what to applaud, and uh, they only have uh, one arm, so they op- applaud together and and, mm. <laughs> and can't agree what to applaud. Funny cool. stuff. Uh, so uh, I think with that, let's leave Buster for now and go to Japan. Yeah, we found uh, this uh, Goketsu Jiraiya, Jiraiya the Brave, uh, uh, directed by Makino Shoso, sometimes called the father of Japanese cinema. Uh, I was just happy that we found something, but because most of the Japanese cinema is gone. Yeah, we we talked about this in, I think, maybe the 10 episode, about the 1910s, uh, that uh, Japanese cinema had had a big fire, um, in the 20s, I think, that uh, destroyed a lot of silent uh, film negatives. Um, and uh, Jiraiya the Brave is one of the few that remains. Makino Shoso, he, he started making movies, uh, one reelers in 1908. And he did one every third day, apparently. Wow. So he was churning them out. Certainly. Is he churning this one out as well? I don't know that much about this one. Uh, it's uh, based on some folk tale uh, about mm, a shape-shifting yeah. ninja who can transform into a toad. And I think it's quite possible this one had one of these Benshi uh, narrators. These, yeah, yeah, yeah. These were uh, actors or what do you say? Nar- yeah, narrators that were live uh, uh, talking, <laughs> live narrating these movies, uh, filling in on plot and character motivations. And in, even uh, it, when it evolved this technique, they went uh, for uh, stream of conscious and inner life and mm. uh, added poetry that had nothing to do with what was on screen. Uh, it, it seems like a in- really interesting um, art. I think it's an art form in itself, um, Banshee, and uh, they would also often be dressed in sort of the same uh, clothes as the piece they were discussing. So I guess he would have been clothed like a samurai as well. Or a toad. Uh, or a toad, perhaps. I mean, uh, we, we got to talk about the toad costume because it's pretty great, man. <laughs> it, it actually is. It looks pretty cool. I mean, uh, they have, like, when he transforms into a toad, often there's, like, an explosion of smoke, and then he's a toad. But uh, sometimes he's just a toad. Uh, It it just happens. (laughs) I mean, it seems very hard to fight this guy because he just disappears midair. Sometimes he becomes a a puff of smoke, 
and then he comes back either as a human or as a toad and disappears. Sometimes he eats a couple of people, but then he's right back and puking them out. Uh, so it's yeah, very... and 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 the people is bu- puking out. They're rolling around like they're small boulders, and so, like he's they're playing bowling or something uh, towards uh, other people. <laughs> yeah, so there's basically two mass scenes at first and and when every time he disappears everyone is like huh? where did he go and run around uh, looking for him for a while uh, yeah and did did you notice that the in the first fight uh, he becomes like um uh what do you call it a vattenspridare <laughs> yeah he becomes a, a a water dispenser of some sort that annoys everybody <laughs> for quite some time <laughs> I mean, there's a prolonged sequence oh, yeah. where where they are That's, annoyed. That scene never ends, does it? So, and then he's up in the clouds. So it's very disjointed uh, these scenes. So I, I guess the Benshi uh, had a field day, just uh, going haywire, <laughs> trying to fill out it, fill out but the parts. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that uh, that in the development of these uh, Benshi, there was a uh, almost a. A genre of swordplay movies. I mean, I've heard about Shambara before. That's the main uh, swordplay genre in in Japanese cinema. But uh, I mean, they were maybe more Eastwood. I mean, (laughs) you were (laughs) ah fuck it. The they developed this uh, this genre called matata bimono that that essentially uh, uh, translates to men's weepies. I don't even know what weepies means. I mean, uh, tearjerkers for men about oh, okay. samurai who were going around and have had heavily stream of conscious uh, narration uh, to get depth and character thoughts. So, oh. so they were going around, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, feeling weepy. Uh, I would love seeing a couple of those, but uh, yeah. Um, so uh, and there's some really good fencing as well here. Um, yeah, because uh, I I mean the first uh, mass battle it's is very stylized and rigid, mm. but as they go along the fights get better and better. And I mean the the one on one and the two on one uh, towards the end they are really really snappy stuff going on. It starts looking mm. like uh, choreographed uh, fight scenes. Mm. And some of the editing is really impressive. Some doesn't work at all, but some of the jump cuts when he gets out and in uh, and back in in frame. I mean, people are essentially moving, and it it doesn't uh, it doesn't ruin their movements. Mm. I really liked one uh, cut where he disappears and then stands on top of another person's head. That was uh, perhaps my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, he's just messing about. Yeah, and the fight in the snow is pretty bu- beautifully conceived. Mm, yeah, I mean, I I love snow in a fight scene. So yeah, that's Jiraiya the Brave, um, a movie worth checking out. I mean, the copy isn't that great that is being shown on YouTube, but um, um, give it a shot. It's re- while it's hard to comprehend, probably without the Benchy. Uh, I mean, it's it's worth seeing only for the costumes and environments, which are really uh, mm. uh, beautiful. And and I like the other animals that show up uh, towards the end. 
Yeah. S- suddenly one guy is a snake and then we have something maybe a flashback and when they come back there's a third person who is uh, some kind of rat or cat or something. Or Did a fox perhaps. A fox. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty g- good stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> these these things are not explained at all. Uh, I I assume it were up was up to the Benshi. I think you you could probably read up on the folk tale that it's based on as well. <sighs> Sorry. Um, so you had a segue. Oh yeah, yeah I, I had a nice segue from this uh, Japanese movie to our to our main piece. Um, so Douglas Fairbanks, our hero, swashbuckling hero, he had a Japanese valet uh, in the 1910s called uh, Tanaka, uh, and Tanaka had to put up with a lot of things since he had a very, very weird uh, master. Um, so uh, one occurrence was th- that they were out in the, um, in the mountains in California uh, camping, and uh, Tanaka was surrounded by rattlesnakes uh, <laughs> uh, and being saved by Douglas Fairbanks in the last minute. Uh, and all of these things, I think, uh, were the reasons for uh, one day he was simply gone. He had vanished. And they were like, hey, where did Tanaka go? He's like, gone. Okay, we'll, we'll just have to find another dude to be our valet or chauffeur. Uh, and then later on, they found out that Tanaka had uh, moved back to Japan and got a job in the Japanese movie industry just by saying that he had worked with Douglas Fairbanks. He hadn't specified what he'd been doing with Douglas Fairbanks. They were like, oh, you've been working with Douglas Fairbanks. Hey, you get a job in the Japanese movie industry. That's Tanaka for you. That's Tanaka for you. So now we're going to have to chase down a couple of Tanaka movies. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know so much more about Tanaka, but he seemed like a a happy guy, uh, an avid guy, a go-getter guy. So so we turn our attention to Fred Niblo's uh, The Three Musketeers. There's a fun uh, Swedish uh, connection here, because Fred Niblo uh, took over and replaced Maurits Stiller on uh, the Frästerskan, Greta Garbo movie, later on. Okay. Uh, he was uh, originally a vaudeville actor as well before he became famous director. Okay, nice. Um, and the Three Musketeers, uh, they, this is uh, Douglas Fairbanks' pet project and had been for a very long time. He had been aching to um, do a movie about the Three Musketeers. Um, and now, finally, he did. And I think there was he, a French version. Uh, coming out the same year. Yeah. It had some... I, I, it's uh, almost six hours long, so I didn't watch it. But it has some yeah. uh, nice swashbuckling or, or and some messy brawls uh, okay. going on. Oh, you have seen a little of it? Yeah, I, I jumped in. A yeah, of I th- think it was uh, that when France heard that Douglas Fairbanks uh, was making a movie about the Three Musketeers, uh, their sense of pride was injured, and they thought, "Oh man, we gotta make a movie about the Three Musketeers ourselves, n- like now." So Fairbanks' movie wasn't shown in France at all. 
they banned it and only shown showed uh, their version which i think is uh, still the one that is uh, most closely based on the book oh yeah they did several uh, adjustments for like um, american audiences uh, to make all of the characters a bit more morally savvy i guess um th- there would be no uh, inter intercourse <laughs> no um there would be no like uh, romance plot where people are having sex with each other uh, as it was in the novel um so they eliminated all of that stuff uh and made a movie about uh, i don't know hanging around or what is it what is it really about yeah, this one, it takes about 15 minutes for uh, Douglas Fairbanks uh, to arrive at the scene. It's the cardinal scheming, and a lot of letters are being I did, sent. Uh, I did like Cardinal Richelieu's um, output. He had like no emotion at all in his face as the king. He's all eyebrows, and he's all like uh, all over the place. Uh, so it's a nice contrast between them. Yeah, did you see when uh, the king looks uh, straight into the camera in in one scene? Yeah, 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 yeah. Early on. Mm. I really, I, I, de- I, I like these. Uh, what do you call? Not make a fuss of it. Uh, breaking the fourth wall, where people look straight into the camera. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was a, I think it was a, a female character as well that looked into the camera. Um, I'm not sure about Douglas if he looked into the camera though. Not this one, and he's not all smiles either in this one. Yeah, he's he's a very uh, brash guy. He gets easily offended. Yeah. And he's pretty prickish and cocky. Yeah, I guess uh, that was like the character uh, though. Uh, So he could get into character. One has been wondering <laughs> if he's just doing the Fairbanks. Well, he actually started out as a serious actor on Broadway. And uh, so people knew that he could act, actually. Uh, but uh, he sort he of, uh, when he made movies, he thought he should uh, give it his all. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he's a bit more constrained in this movie. Absolutely. But I guess this uh, w- looking straight into the camera is uh, a remnant from a theater tradition, uh, I suppose, where the audience is always complicit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's being um, the first scene where Fairbanks in- is uh, introduced. He's being offended by someone who laughs at his horse or something. <laughs> Uh, he jumps off his horse in a very nice manner. I know I don't really know how he's doing that. He's like sliding off the horse back or something. Uh, very nice. Uh, and he runs up to a uh, um, uh, a carriage with uh, a, a lady and addresses the lady. Pardon me, madam. I must kill your friend. Uh, yeah, but I mean the the introduction. In, I, th- I believe the introductionary uh, intertext for, for him is uh, D'Artagnan takes every smile as an insult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost a comment on, on the uh, earlier Fairbanks movies where he was all smiles. Now it's uh, the opposite. Now it all frowns. 
Um, so he's hot-headed to the max, this character. Um, we don't get any swashbuckling here since he's being overpowered by peasants. <laughs> They're like uh, pulling him away from this carriage. Like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah, rather anti-climatic. He's on his way to Paris to become a part of the uh, Musketeers, uh, the King's Brigades. Um, and he, when he arrives to Paris, he swaps his horse for a hat. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, he try. He even tries to impress his horse with the hat that he just uh, switched it for. Uh, check out my hat. Yeah, he's like taunting it. Oh yeah, you're a, you're worth as much as this. And look what a nice hat I have now. Uh, so that's essential. You gotta know your priorities. Hats before horses. And in the first alley he ventures into, he is inches away from getting water dropped on, on his precious new hat. Oh dear. Uh, and then he finds some yarn and he tries to uh, catch a girl by s- stringing up the yarn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so most of the movie are these uh, small uh, comedy vignettes. Yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah. And it kind of... Uh, cradled me into submission uh, <laughs> okay uh, well I have to I have be, to acknowledge that the, these uh, parts are the best and it's sort of like a, a 20 minute half hour period where there's a lot of these things uh, where the movie is coming into its uh, own uh, but then it disappears a bit and every, every bit of air goes out of the movie so he uh, he comes to the uh, Musketeers uh, and is being uh, presented with these uh, three famous Musketeers, Athos, Porthos and uh, Aramis. Uh, and he uh, he sees some guy, I think the guy he insulted earlier, and he thinks, yeah. oh my god, I get a, gotta get down to the guy I insulted earlier, uh, or that insulted me earlier, uh, and have a beef with him. So he runs through this... Um, uh, sort of castle-like structure to get down to the street again. And as he <laughs> moves, he insults all three of the musketeers in uh, sort of different ways. Uh, and the last musketeer uh, interrupts and calls him the most perfect idiot I have ever met. Mm-hmm. So he challenged all of them for a duel. One o'clock behind the Luxembourg. Meet me behind the Luxembourg at one o'clock. Uh, did, did did you did you notice the that uh, there was a really fast cut uh, intertitles dialogue a heated dialogue the the first one he he uh, rushes into it's uh, really um, uh, yeah fast uh, yeah you son of a bitch <laughs> you know intertitle uh, heated debate Oh, you mean that the intertitle was was very short on screen? Yes. Oh, yeah. And wo- uh, was only there back and forth. Because uh, that's very unusual. Usually you have to sit through the intertitles for like 10 seconds and be, oh my god, can we get back to the action? But yeah, here it so was very snappy, yeah. Yeah, so it uh, emulated the the heated d- debate they had, or argument, the heated argument yes. they had. So when they face off behind the Luxembourg at one o'clock, 
Um, he addresses the three musketeers and says that he will be honored to be killed by them and that he will be crying rivers uh, if he accidentally kills one of them because he loves them all. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, so this guy is all right. <laughs> so the, uh, I guess the cardinal's guard uh, or something shows up and interrupts. And, and the musketeers and D'Artagnan gang up on massacring them. Yeah, and we have like uh, some fencing here. And I read that um, the fencing in uh, Fairbanks movies is actually often um, later on when they made like uh, other fencing movies in the 30s and up uh, until now. They like had a rule for fencing, like <clears throat> you would only like have three strokes at each other and then cut since you wouldn't want to be injured in any way, even if the swords weren't real. Uh, there were like there had like a rule, three strokes against each other and then cut so that they could rearrange or something and move the camera around. But in the Fairbanks movie, they just went at each other like mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really aggressive uh, uh, there, there's a later scene where he's fighting five guys at once Yeah, and there's just this uh, intense uh, uh, back and forth he does a great uh, like handstand jump with a knife uh, yeah. on a guy who lies on the ground so he's like awesome. hand, he's like handstanding the guy's chest with the knife and plants the knife in the chest and moves on. I mean, that that was an awesome stunt. That was a cool move. Yeah. That that should uh, be... Uh, that should be... Uh, reinterpreted. Reinterpreted. Maybe John Wick can do a parallel or something, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um... And then we have some. I mean, I mean, Fairbanks finishes this fight with throwing a sword at at one guy. So when uh, when uh, the best when the cardinal's best guard arrives, he's like very upset. So he chases after to teach this uh, guy to use his sword, not foul. So we get a duel, and this duel is uh, perhaps my. Favorite part of the movie. Um, it's one of these like indoors the uh, duels, so we so we we get to throw and jump some furniture, which is. I mean, th this nice. is uh, this is peak Fairbanks when he's jumping around furniture and using furniture um, to advance the fight. Uh, meanwhile, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis is picking up the bartender and placing him on a shelf, <laughs> which was really funny. Safety uh, measures. Safety measures. He utterly humiliates uh, the cardinal swordsman and aggressively shows off. Uh, they move the fight outside and uh, he's like running after him. Uh, oh, and he puts him on a bench. <laughs> the guy is being put on a bench, still with his sword trying to defend himself. And where he's being psyched by Fairbanks, like he's uh, uh, thrusting his sword at his feet and he's trying to shield himself. Uh, which was also really funny. So this is a great scene. Yeah, real douche. Yeah, he's a douche, all right. That's the Fairbanks way. <laughs> uh, and I think we get a lot of Fairbanks smile here as well. Uh, since, since this is him in his... Um, element. Is in, uh, his element, absolutely. 
So later on, the king tells the cardinal that these upstarts will be dealt with, that uh, that they are running around uh, doing all this trouble. And we get a really... <laughs> there's a wonderful uh, moment between the king and the chief of musketeers. They, they uh, have this... Uh, these uh, at first tense stares because I, I think the chief of musketeers is a little worried that his men are gonna get uh, punished hard and then uh, we get heartily laughter from the king and they uh, have a bromancing moment that I thought was really I mean there's these uh, cute little moments uh, sprinkled throughout this movie that that won me over yeah, that, that basically absolutely. are reaction shots. I, I, I think this movie has wonderful reaction shots. <laughs> um, so this sort of proves that uh, f- that Dartan Yang is uh, ready to be uh, inaugurated in some way. Uh, so he's being uh, shown to a tailor where he's being uh, where he where the tailor is trying to take uh, Dartan Yang's uh, measures but utterly fails as Douglas Fairbanks just can't stand still. He jumps around <laughs> all the time. I mean, this guy has to have some sort of a diagnose or something. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> yeah, but there's just something about watching this uh, Energizer bunny bouncing around. Yeah. But it's also a bit awkward because he's always playing people... Uh, always, but a couple of movies we've seen, he's playing people that are supposed to be very young, I think. Mm. Uh, both in Sorrow and in this one at least uh, it gets a, a little odd with him playing these uh, young jumping energized guys and looking <laughs> a bit older so, yeah so he's yeah, like 40 he... here I think uh, so <laughs> definitely yeah so there's a little um, some kind of martial arts Forrest Gump vibe <laughs> going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, I mean, he was pretty weird. I mean, uh, he 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 had trouble even standing still uh, between cuts. I mean, uh, w- when uh, the director would yell "cut," uh, Douglas Fairbanks would like do uh, gymnastics between cuts because uh, he needed to be <laughs> he needed to be agile at all times. I mean, this is the guy who this is the guy who built a gym beneath the movie set. So that he, whenever he had time, he could run down and be naked and run around on tre- treadmills uh, by himself. Okay, so he's a he's a case. He's a case, all right. Yeah. So yeah, so that's uh, probably when when he's scaling buildings and uh, jumping walls and stuff. Uh, it just happens, and uh, it I mean, comes he just... it, it comes naturally to this guy. No one had had thought about it, but uh, suddenly he's up on the roof. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, dangling. a lot of this is. Um, and they asked, "Okay, continue cranking the camera. We get a- we get some stuff." Actually, I think he did a lot of this uh, impromptu. Uh, everybody thought he was gonna do like a low key thing, but then he would like be fuck it. I'm doing this instead. I mean, it was a, a scene in I think your favorite ten movie. With Douglas Fairbanks, uh, what's it called? Um, Manhattan Madness. Manhattan Madness. I think the scene where he enters in the beginning and uh, is having this conversation with his old buddies, uh, he charges a person uh, and takes him down. 
Uh, and this was yeah, that was great scene. Yeah, this was not in the script, and he was not supposed to do that. He just uh, did it on a whim <laughs> when they yelled action. Uh, so the, the poor extra that was moving around in the background had no idea he was he was about to be jumped by Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> oh, okay. So he was an asshole. <laughs> Uh, so mixed feelings uh, a now. lot of these things, a lot of these things happened. Uh, I think uh, he he was uh, so affable that uh, everybody who uh, were uh, subjected to his uh, <laughs> sort of weird ways uh, sort of was one won over in the end as well. I guess they were. Uh, I guess they were uh, uh, beaten to submission. Yeah. Yes, yes. Tough love, tough but love. But earlier, uh, may, maybe I can edit this uh, in uh, before, because <laughs> the me- when he meets the king the first time is also a very uh, sub- subtle, uh, funny scene when he gets all jelly knees and stumbles around and uh, kind of almost knocks over the other musketeers. And uh, and the king has a, a rollicking good time meeting this uh, this energizer bunny. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, fair... fair <laughs> and he's late, to, he's late to the meeting as well because he's uh, fraternizing with, with this girl that uh, he, he tried to uh, collect with the yarn earlier. Have you noticed that he has a, a far better mustache for this movie than Sorrow? <laughs> so uh, we gotta notice his mustaches. Well, the well, actually, this was a real mustache. He actually grew ah. the mustache for the movie and kept the mustache to his death. Uh, and he inspired other leading men to get mustaches because uh, before this, everybody was clean-shaved. Only villains had any facial hair. Uh, but Fairbanks, he set a new uh, model for heroes. Okay, I'm a kind of I'm kind of a clean uh, shaved, clean cut guy. Uh, I don't know what what to do with this information. Well, the, the mustache. You just have to learn to love the mustache, man. <laughs> the, the origin of the mustache, the, the facial. Yeah. Hair. So this is the origin takeover. of the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> the hostile facial hair takeover. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, uh, what's happening in the movie, man? Yeah, he's at the tailor, uh, bouncing around, <laughs> and uh, one of one of the musketeers comes in and inform him that I have a servant for you, a fellow who reflects before he acts. Oh! And uh, Fairbanks is shocked. No, what are you saying? <laughs> I found him on. A <laughs> I found him on a bridge. Uh, spitting in the water to see which way the river was flowing. And I mean, and, and Fairbanks almost can't handle this information. At first he's so surprised, and then he burst out belly laughing. Wow. Uh, okay, so uh, this, this was like uh, being unprecedented in France uh, at the like 1600s. Uh, fantastic. I think it was unheard of for Fairbanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we get a scene where. Um, yeah, uh, and we, we get the scene where he fights off uh, five guys at once. Uh, mm. The girl, his his uh, love interest, is harassed by the cardinal's men because she's in on the plot of uh, getting letters. Uh, to different <laughs> persons. There's a lot of letters. 
Oh yeah, the plot is very, very boring. I mean, dull to the extreme. It's something about the queen is being unfaithful to the king. She has like a British lover. Um, and there's a lot of letters being exchanged. And Cardinal Richelieu sees this as his um, uh, opportunity to seize power or something. He thinks he can um, uh, make the king mad with the queen. And then he somehow can... Assu- assume all power over France or something like that. But I mean uh, these uh, uh, these uh, all, all these uh, letters and the glancing at the camera and in the end there's a lot of theatrical uh, stuff going on and the seemingly unassuming placement of the camera which has some some stunning imagery it reminded me kind of Manuel de Oliveira. <laughs> so I, I think that helped lull me in <laughs> to this movie. Okay. But now he's fighting, he bursts in uh, fighting uh, violently, waving around, battling with five guys at once. Uh, yeah, and this, and, then, and this reminded you of Oliveira, right? Yeah. This is the deal. Uh, then there's some running around on the rooftops. I gotta, uh, I gotta say, I I um, have a tendency to prefer uh, the women of Hazards of Helen and the Perils of Pauline, because in in Buster Keaton and in uh, Douglas Fairbanks movies so far, uh, the women tend to faint and get carried around like a sack of potatoes, mostly. Well, I did think that uh, the wom- the woman in one week uh, did a fairly bit, fair bit of uh, action as well. Um, she assisted Buster yeah, building we, we the house, sh- and uh, she tried to tried to be helpful uh, when they, when they were moving the house. So, so she wasn't um, she was in on it in in a way that other hasn't. Yeah, we mentioned her. So anyway, uh, he has um, he has shafted these guys, uh, <laughs> um, and he's being let in on the plot a bit uh, since uh, the lady he is in love with, um, she is meeting with this uh, British uh, duke or something, who has to come and see the queen in uh, secret. He's so in love with her. Um, so anyway. Uh, forget about yeah. all that stuff. Uh, now the gang invite themselves to eat at, at two monks. Yeah, they they've got uh, they got some cash from the king, but uh, that cash has run out really quick, uh, and now they're all poor and hungry, and they invite themselves to these monks. Yeah, and the looks these monks give each other uh, again with the reaction shots. I think there's some uh, wonderful subtle acting <laughs> here when they they uh, when they. When more and more people come to uh, already meager dinner, they, these monks are not made of uh, honey. <laughs> what do you say? They don't have that much food on the table. Yeah, they, they don't have that much to share. Uh, and when they put out a loaf of bread, uh, everybody gets all grabby with the bread, which I think is an amazing shot. There's like three or four hands that are... <laughs> tearing at one loaf of bread and is being all, ah, give me that, give me that. Great stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
so so just uh, there's a lot of scenes w- how people look at each other that I really liked in this movie that that I haven't seen uh, earlier. And then Portos loses a wager to D'Artagnan. Uh, he thinks that D'Artagnan can't fix Crub, uh, but he can. So they spank his ass Grub. with their... <laughs> Grub. Yeah, uh, fuck. <laughs> Crub. Crub. Crub, var det tänkt på? No, it was... It, yeah, it was wrong. It was wrong of Hang me. I shall suicide. So la- later on, the, I guess they are still hungry. <laughs> so Portos has lost a wager to D'Artagnan that he won't be uh, capable of fixing some uh, some more food. So he, he D'Artagnan just goes and harass um, some party that uh, that the cardinal man, cardinal's men ha- is having, and steal some food. And then they yeah, and s- hats and hats, Anders. Yeah, all of them. He's he's stealing food and all of their hats, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, because because the fun part when he comes home, he just throws the hats everywhere. <laughs> yeah, not- <laughs> and 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 one lands right on his face, yeah. which was a nice <laughs> yeah. shot as well. <laughs> so probably he was supposed to do something else with these hats, but. Uh, as established, he's kind of a uh, nutcase, so he has. He fairbanked it. I mean, he fairbanked it. He fairbanked it. It reminded. Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? Uh, do no. you remember in uh, The Rock when uh, Nicolas Cage receives? Uh, I think it's a Beatles vinyl, and it, when he's opening the package, he just opens it oh. in his face. <laughs> The yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he so he's an early face. proponent of Nicolas Cage's uh, weirdness. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they continue to spank Porto's ass with their swords. No, 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 no. There's an intertitle. There's an intertitle <laughs> that says Porto's must pay, and the guys are standing around spanking his ass with their swords. That is like perhaps the shot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, how do we move on from here? Well, uh, there's some plot which I <laughs> didn't didn't oh, catch man. up on at all. Uh, yeah, so but, so, but but essentially, it all means that uh, they need to fetch Dartan Yang uh, to cross the ocean and get this uh, British duke back to England with a necklace or something that has been yeah, given essentially, by the queen. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's an early plantation. <laughs> plantation. <laughs> what do you say? Essentially, it's an early... What say man plantering? Fuck it. Skitsamma. Essentially, er, <laughs> earlier on, the queen uh, has has received uh, a 10-year-in-the-making, exceptionally unique diamond buckle from the king and is requested to wear this at the ball and she has given it away to the Duke of Buckingham. What the hell? Yeah, I mean... Why did she give give this buckle away? He's, He's... I mean, he's, uh, uh, it's he's unimaginable. Very, uh, yeah, he says it was 10 years in the making. <laughs> There's nothing like it. I mean, 
she didn't pick up on how much uh, the king thought of this necklace. Yeah, and how Apparently unique not. it is. There's no way to to uh, to fake this. Uh, so when the girl who Fairbanks is in love with uh, gets to, uh, she goes to get Fairbanks and tell him about that he needs to go to Britain and finds this duke. When she enters the room where Fairbanks and the musketeers are, they are standing and painting. Uh, a guy on the wall with a big heart, supposedly to use for target practice or something. It looks fantastic. <laughs> and this is just a throwaway <laughs> shot. Uh, this is not, uh, they cut away from this fairly quickly. So you just get a glance of it. But I mean, fantastic. Uh, so you missed that. So... That was uh, sad for you, man. Yeah. Uh, weeping. We, man, manly weeping <laughs> over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Serves you so, right, man. So they, the cardinal gets a hold of D'Artagnan and uh, he manages to stall for some time with flattery here. Uh, and the, the cardinal is supposed to drop his handkerchief and then someone is going to shoot him and there's a narrow escape. Uh, but there's a. Uh, when they talk, he's saying, uh, "If you were supposed to die, what would you? What would be your last words?" And he says, "I would write the history of France." And this will, scene will be mirrored in the end, so so we get a mirror scene as well. And then they are on the way. Yeah, and way he's sweet. To he, he essentially sweet talks Richelieu by saying, "Oh, I would." Uh, write about Richelieu's poetry and all his exploits and his uh, amazing swordsmanship because he sees a guy uh, pointing a gun at him through a curtain. Um, And then he makes a daring escape. Um, He runs around a bit on the streets of Paris, uh, jumps up on a horse together with the musketeers and they uh, thunders out of Paris. Um, and now we have sort of like um, they they fall off one by one as they all need to get D'Artagnan to England. Yeah, they happen upon different. They happen upon different ambushes. Uh, yeah. Get disarmed one at a time. Uh, Artus fights off like eight or ten people in 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 the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Portos, who is this big guy, needs to hold up a bridge for them. <laughs> but during the sequence, they repeatedly intercut to the cardinal, a uh, close-up of the cardinal's hand, uh, patting his armchair, biding his time, his pl- plan set in motion. Yeah, and so uh, D'Artagnan goes to England, uh, where he uh, there's uh, a, a milady, she's called. Uh, she tries to get her hands on the na- on this uh, fantastic uh, diamond uh, thingamajig uh, that is th- there to collect. Uh, and there's a lot of brouhaha on a boat. Um, and then they're back in France. Hooray! Yeah, this uh, riding back and forth between France and England is a bit... Uh... Super boring it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's the word you're looking for. It's super boring. Yeah. Uh, and we, we close with uh, a fight in a staircase and uh, um, some shenanigans. And essentially, 
Um, Richelieu admits his defeat, but tries to enlist D'Artagnan in his own guard. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So, so Richelieu isn't, like, killed or anything. He's just been a naughty boy or something and uh, won't be punished at all. <clears throat> yeah, something like that. But there are these uh, <laughs> w- wonderful shots of the cardinal and the king uh, intercut in, in these uh, later scenes uh, that uh, almost suggest they are watching the scenario played out like a play. And, uh, and there's a great shot when there's uh, curtains for the cardinal, when he goes behind actual uh, curtains, wide-eyed, when he understands that the, the jig is up. Uh, and I think there's a great shot where Fairbanks has sort of swept uh, a guy off his feet, and the guy is lying on the ground, and uh, Fairbanks jumps him with gusto. <laughs> I mean... I'm going in there! I love his enthusiasm. (laughs) I mean, he gets to pick up a guy and throw him downstairs uh, here as well, as in Manhattan Madness. That is a a power move. And we get something uh, resembling a a crane shot or something, following the fight uh, up up, uh, the, the stairs, which was pretty cool. But the fight is really short here. I, I could have used a longer one. Essentially a disappointment, the finale. But I mean, I really like this one. Well, I don't know. I thought Sorrow was way better. There's, there's some struggle in the beginning <laughs> to adapt. And in the end, yeah. And yeah, in the yeah. end, it, I, I mean, it, it is uh, bogged down by its two-hour running time. Uh, yeah. But there is something going on here that I can do little with with my limited thought process, but uh, it is interesting nonetheless. <laughs> well, uh, you and me, you and me have a tendency to like movies where guys are just hanging around. Um, hanging around is good, but but all <laughs> but also this uh, <laughs> this uh, theatricality uh, infused. Uh, yeah. I really find that uh, exciting. I I would like some more action, uh, as it, I thought this would be an action movie. Yeah, uh, and this is an action pod. We in the middle, but... Definitely, yeah. there should be more action. We are not the, the I mean, theatrical I mean, if, you, if you're looking for a Douglas Fairbanks action movie, I would uh, recommend you to watch Zorro instead. Uh, that was way better swashbuckling, uh, for my mind at least. But, uh, of course, Anders, there's some great uh, hanging around stuff in this, uh, in the middle section of this movie. But uh, I don't know if it's uh, worth the hassle to watch the entire movie, actually. I would probably put it like this, yeah. Uh, for Fairbanks hanging out with a couple of dudes, this one. For, Fair- <laughs> for, for Fairbanks doing handkerchief uh, tricks to an bored-to-death audience... I would uh, recommend Sorrow. Oh, but there's much better action (laughs) scenes in Sorrow. You have to acknowledge that, man. (laughs) Yeah, the end set piece is uh, delivers in in Sorrow. I mean, the beginning set piece in the Hacienda, that's great as well, when he's uh, jumping around the furniture and uh, fighting this uh, scared Gonzalez guy. A bit too much build-up on that one, although I do like the build-up, the myth around Sorrow. Uh, Mm. It 
takes a bit too long before he enters. The well, field. anyway, uh, Fairbanks is uh, one uh, serious character, that's for sure, and uh, we love him. And we will uh, get back to him. Yes, in the next episode, on <laughs> 1922, there will be another Douglas Fairbanks feature movie. So uh, stay tuned for that, guys. <laughs>